Omis, welcome to a special interview of the week. This week I have Casper, the co-founder of Phantom Dow, which is a Olympus partner, and they're launching next week. What date is the launch? <laughs> soon, soon, very soon. <laughs> Do we have like a, a time period for that? Yeah, so we're closing our our Spectre, which is our whitelist role in the Discord wallet collections tomorrow. And then you can expect within the next couple of days a fair launch. Oh, redacted. Exactly. Yeah, I can't wait to see what it is. So Phantom Dow is a partner of Olympus and they're kind of an endorsed similar mechanic protocol on Phantom Chain. And Olympus is getting a share of the Genesis tokens at 3.3%. And Olympus has said, we'll keep them in our treasury. And then actually they'll be on the dashboard, which is getting released in a week or two. And then people will be able to see how sort of the, how much of that is sort of going to back home. And it might be like, you know, however many much percent, but like over time, hopefully it'll be a bigger and bigger percent, but maybe you can sort of give us a high level of like, the project and kind of what your vision for it is yeah for sure and obviously firstly thanks for having me on the show (laughs) long time listener first time guest hopefully not the last time though but yeah phantom so we saw my co-founder and i we have we have a a background in in growing and founding and building web 2 SaaS businesses and i myself have actually raised like over 50 million dollars worth of venture capital so i understand that world quite intimately and, you know, the one thing happened is like when we, when we started researching Olympus and we started understanding, you know, that protocol, we kind of sat down and we said to each other, it was like, this is an amazing way to bootstrap funds, but then to also sort of open source involvement. So, you know, venture capital is one of those industries in Web2 where it's just full of like nepotism and, and sycophantism, right? Like it's just... It's a weird space and it's very exclusive, but it is lucrative. And so, you know, we kind of said like, what if we used, you know, what if we created a project in Web3 where we used Olympus style mechanics to bootstrap, you know, funds to create basically the Web3 version of Y Combinator and made it like sort of open source that anyone can contribute. Anyone could basically become like an LP, like a a stakeholder in this. And that's kind of where the idea was born. And then, you know, the vision statement is really kind of, it was really there in that explanation, right? Where we want to become a better, more inclusive version of, of YC, but have it be in Web3. Yeah, definitely. And I think the more people kind of delve into crypto, you might start like buy some Bitcoin and then you'll hold it for a while and then you'll be like, well, what's this other one? Or Ethereum, right. what do they do? Right. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like at the bottom of the rabbit hole is kind of you realize that VCs have been like absolutely making a killing from this like super exclusive sort of accredited investor laws where only rich people can invest in sort of seed stage projects and startups and then they when it goes to like when the first time the public gets a chance at it it's like already done like 100 times like what the initial investment was right exactly right yeah yeah it's it's pretty pretty crazy and then like you start to realize that well and then in web 3 you realize well actually like the time to market for a lot of these projects is just getting the code on chain 
and then sort of saying, oh, we're going to launch and then off they go and launch. Right. And so it's I think it's becoming increasingly there's like a lot of money that wants to invest in early stage projects and it's becoming more and more exclusive like it's like well why should i take your money <laughs> compared to someone else's money and like that value add so what's what's the what's going to be the value add for phantom like there'll be the community which will assist but like is there more to it is it sort of bringing in everyone's collective expertise like is the community going to be expected to sort of contribute and participate in the partner projects yeah i think Honestly, the way I think about it is like, let's let's say for argument's sake, right, there was a Web3 startup and their option was to either go through, you know, Y Combinator or to go through to through Phantom. And obviously Y Combinator is dilutive, right, because they're going to have to give up some equity on their cap table. But to come through Phantom, all they might have to do is give up a provision of tokens if they're planning on, on tokenizing their product, which I assume if you're building Web3, you're probably thinking about doing, right? So first of all, like it's non-dilutive if you came through Phantom. So that's like a big advantage for for, for builders who want to sort of maintain strict control of their legal entities. You know, you're not, you're not going to have some asshole on the board trying to tell you what to do. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's totally governed by the tokens usually on chain. Right, exactly. And so and and that those structures typically don't you don't have like a board of directors stifling innovation and creating other issues you know at a personal level what, what but what you do have is a massive community to basically bootstrap your user engagement from day one you know one of the things that i've noticed transitioning from building in web 2 to web 3 is like that feedback loop those feedback cycles they are 50 times accelerated in web 3 but the only reason they are is because there is this access to a large community. And if you come through Phantom Accelerator and a deal gets approved, right? Like someone comes in, like their idea is approved to, to join the Accelerator. Then the entire community is going to rally around that because they're incentivized to do it, right? They're incentivized to make that project successful. And so you'll have that accelerated user engagement basically from day one. And I would argue, right? that there's, there's nothing more important than finding out fast and efficiently you know, what your product market fit is. And the best way to do that is primary market research. And we're going to be the best way for projects to do that because we're going to have that community who's incentivized to engage with their products. So that's what we think our biggest advantage is going to be. Yeah. So what type of projects is it sort of pre... I mean, it's <laughs> you don't have the classical sort of series a series b like seed type right. of stuff but like what's the is it so it's an accelerator rather than like an incubator so it's all the projects so it's kind of would it be like just pre-launch all the way through to like post-launch and after or because it's it's difficult for projects to give tokens away after launch because they actually have like a market value right and then Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so is that what you're targeting? Sort of right before launch, kind of. Yeah, basically. Like, I mean, the best way to frame it is, um, it, it's really anywhere between ideation and launch. Um, if I had to call a sweet spot, I would say, you know, they've probably gone through Olymp Olympus incubator, and then they're right at that period where like they are testing, 
and then they could come through us basically because they've got a product and they're going to use us to to find product market fit. So that's kind of like I would call the sweet spot. But we have a lot of I think we have a lot of flexibility, right? We can we can do anything from ideation all the way up until launch. But, you know, in saying that, I think, you know, you asked a question about what verticals and and obviously we're not restricting ourselves to the phantom, you know, blockchain. We, we, we'll, we'll look at deals on any chain. But the verticals are more important to us and, and we're going to sort of stick to verticals like DeFi, like gaming and, and metaverse and, and maybe education as well. And, and those verticals will all have... Uh, basically a, a an industry vertical expert sitting on the committee. So people who have done a lot of research, done a lot of investing, angel investing in that space, um, who can help sort of vet those deals, help them write up proposals um, and essentially make sure that we have qualified pipeline coming through to the DAO and it's not just, you know, any old man and his dog can come and apply. Yep, definitely. I know you've been super careful with the community. I've kind of been in the server a little while now and kind of kept an eye on what you guys are doing. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Like this, having the, the, the your value as an accelerator is pretty much a like call on the underlying people. Is that how you see it? As like them as, you know, kind of people with like integrity and sort of who are involved in the space and are like good natured. It's kind of those Olympus bong bear type of vibes, you know, like very like, open and generous is that yeah 100 percent. i think that's a fair a fair representation like at the end of the day you know we didn't necessarily sit down and and, and plan out our launch on day one like in, in terms of how we're going to sequence it but ultimately like we, we we got halfway through and we said what, what do we philosophically believe right and philosophically we believe that you know in web3 and especially in in DAOs, right like you are creating something that is going to be owned and run by the community. And so if you philosophically align with that view, then you have to sort of match your launch sequence up with that. And, and to be honest with you, I, I don't think there's one example that I can think of that has done this properly. Uh, well, maybe apart from actually uh, Max from Fiat Dow, I think who's doing exactly this, where the launch sequence is sort of matched up philosophically with what he believes uh, and what Dow stand for ultimately. And I think that is launching Dow first. And launching DAO first is is kind of scary as a as a founder and as a builder because you're you're essentially giving away like that control before before things even begin, right? Yeah. So when you're saying DAO first, you mean it's like on chain governance from day one. Correct, and like yeah. even before anything you know happens from like a protocol raise standpoint or like a protocol function standpoint. The DAO will just exist as as essentially an, an empty shell, and the community who's been a part of this ideation phase from the beginning, like for months, right? They will have a say in that vote to say, "Yep, let's push it live." Yes, we agree with you know the framing. Yes, we agree with like you know the the APY framework, and all of those things will have that community input before anything happens. So it's not like you know, we as a founding exclusive team went and made a bunch of decisions, raised a bunch of money, turned things on and then said, okay, now we're giving over the reins to you guys, right? It's actually before anything happens, we're giving the reins to you guys. We've had a lot of conversations about this and now we're going to put a vote forward to say, yeah, should we do it? Like, let's do it. And, and then the community will decide. That's what it means to us. Yeah. That's like a very different culture as well, right? Like, 
making people feel responsible for the decisions because if they don't then they (laughs) then the project's not going to really work out yeah exactly so that's like a big cultural piece i suppose for you guys for sure yeah and i read the article about the launch so you have a whitelist but the whitelist tokens will be vesting and this is something i've never seen before right like Mm. do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah, so, uh, yeah, the tokens are, uh, and the whitelist process is 100% a novel thing in the industry. We basically came up with this, and, and we, we're calling the tokens founder, phantom tokens, like FPHM. Anyone who's a Spectre in the Discord will get an allocation of these FPHM. People can go and claim them at no cost. If you're on the whitelist, you can claim them for no cost. But I, I guess, you know, the, the other thing to consider with these tokens is that, as you said, 25% of them will be redeemable or claimable or swappable, whatever you want to call it, on day one. And then the remaining 75% will just be vesting on a linear basis for the for, for 12 months. And, you know, I think, again, going back to like some philosophical beliefs, I don't think that if, you, if someone ever invests in something and pays for something, you should never lock that money up. I, I philosophically don't agree with that. But we felt comfortable with it because, you know, one, we, we made sure that no one was paying for them. And then two this was really important for us. We had done a lot of research on, on, a, on a bunch of different launches in DeFi. And one thing we noticed was, and I wrote a Twitter thread about this, but one thing we noticed is that, you know, if you give too much incentive to early investors, come public launch time, you know, it, it can cause, and, and I've seen this pretty much more than half of the time happen, right? It, it can cause these new public investors to come in and basically get dumped on um, by those early investors. And I think, that's one thing we really wanted to avoid, not only to protect those public investors who are coming in after the fact, but it's also protecting the protocol because I think people kind of underestimate how damaging it is to a protocol when that happens. And the community, right? And the community, 100%. But you're like leaving money on the table, right? If you, because they did this in Rome, I watched the and Olympus, right? The original launch where they sort of have this whitelist, people making a bunch of money, and then the people who are making it's like PvP, right? They're like, oh, I'm gonna be the first to dump because I don't want to get dumped on by other people, but <laughs> and it's crisis super unhealthy. And then it sort of stays with you, right. right? Like yeah. Even now in Olympus, people are like, oh, people got in early, you know, they're up so much. They they're the ones dumping, and it's like Sure, like there's some people who do that, but like there's also a lot of people in Olympus who are just sort of the people sticking around and it's sort of whales playing these big games with like pumping and sort of dropping the price again. Right, yeah. So the whitelist process is sort of going on and then we'll see like a kind of innovative launch. I can't wait to see what it is next week. So being DAO first and having on-chain governance, it's kind of this... Like, if it were just a bunch of people with a multi-sig, it'd be like, uh, I mean, and you might not want to com- comment on this at all, but, like, a regulator, like, especially, like, a US regulator might come in and be like, bam, gotcha. Like, you know, you you p- bunch of friends can't invest together. Like, you know, like, <laughs> because, because they just, I mean, like, investor protection as well. But, like, if it's actually an on-chain entity that no person controls, then it's very difficult for them to say there's some sort of breach. And I think this is what very similar to what, what you were saying before, like Fiat DAO, they've kind of got this model to like distribute 
decentralize the protocol and then start sort of voting from day one with the decisions about what happens with the tokens. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think what you're saying is correct. Like I'm not the most educated person on that stuff, but I would say, you know, like legal reasons aside, it was far more pressing to align our launch with how we philosophically believed a DAO should operate. And I think one of the things we got frustrated with is we saw all these other DAOs launching and operating in, in a manner that to us was like antithesis of a, of a DAO. And that was very frustrating for us. And so, especially because they're sort of out there purporting that they are acting for the people, but you know, but ultimately what what their actions were was kind of like the opposite of that. And, and, and we, we were just, it was really disappointing for us to see that in the market especially because what we're trying to create is kind of like that web three version of open source and open access, very inclusive. You know, those other DAOs, we felt like we're just bringing web two mentality to web three, which is really disappointing. So that was more the reason for us. Oh yeah, definitely. I think, and I think that's right. Like you need to put in the work with the community early to like set expectations, but if the community feels responsible, they're going to be that much engaged with the process rather than sort of sometimes like even at Olympus people are like well why aren't the devs doing anything and it's like well <laughs> this is a community like protocol they have like people who work like in the DAO who are trying to do things but also like you know if you think something should change like you can't just expect someone else to be doing it it's like you can jump in and do it yourself you know right put a snapshot up or something yeah exactly so People will be able to make on-chain votes from day one and then they will bind the protocol. So someone could kind of put up whatever they want. That Yeah, I mean, you mentioned before that it's like a little bit scary as a founder because like you're right. trusting the kind of these random anons in DeFi to like, you know, make good decisions for the protocol. But I suppose it's, you know, it's their protocol and it's, I mean, it's your protocol as well. So exactly, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. So the way I view it is like, yeah, we are relinquishing control, but like then it was up to us up until that point to really build a community that was, um, and especially the whitelisters, obviously, because they're part of that initial vote, but like to build a group of people who we felt were aligned with the mission. And I think we have done that. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So you've got a bunch of other partnerships. Um, who else are you kind of working with? Yeah, so we're working with SpiritSwap and Vrax. And then there is also a partnership in the works right now with Redacted because we, you know, I mean, I, I think Vrax is kind of sort of uh, self-explanatory. Like, you know, we're using Vrax as our main stable asset in our treasury. And, you know, we've worked with Sam over there and, and he's very supportive of DeFi in general in the space and very open to working with new founders, I think. And that was pretty much how the most critical thing for us was finding people that would actively work with us. Yeah. It makes such a difference, right? <laughs> oh, it does. 100%. If someone wants to find a way to work with you rather than someone who's like, yeah, use my coin. I couldn't care less, you know, like, yeah, it's such a better relationship. Mm. Right. Yeah, it's 100%. And yeah, and, and like if you want value to flow both ways, you need that open door mentality, I think. And and then Spirit Swap kind of leads into Redacted. So I'll go through the through, through, through the hoops a little bit. So... Yeah, if you can, I'm very interested to hear. Yeah, so SpiritSwap, the main partnership is really about gauges. And they really said, you know, this this whole idea of boosted farms kind of new to the Phantom Network in general. Um, so they have boosted farms and they're creating like a, a whole governance system and they, they move to a DAO structure, right? So they've got this like DAO token called Spirit, which you can swap for InSpirit. 
and it acts a lot like curve. And essentially, if we create our own boosted gauge for like our LP for argument's sake, the emissions are really useful for us because then we can point more of those emissions to to earning a yield on on our LP. And I know they already have a geome gauge as well. And obviously, we're going to hold geome in our treasury. And obviously, it also benefits Redacted because they're holding geome. They might hold it on Phantom one day. And so the whole idea with partnering with Redacted is because their whole mission is is basically accumulating these governance influence on cross-chain. And our thing is like, hey, we're philosophically aligned. We're both Olympus partners. We both want this industry to succeed, right? And let's work together. Let's build this influence on SpiritSwap and other places that make sense on the Phantom Chain. And then let's sort of, let's use it to benefit both of us. I think it's also important that I touch on, you know, something that we something that I thought about a lot, but really came to a head, you know, with, with the blood in the streets. And I, you know, I created like this brainstorming place in our server for people to come and, and, and to, to see my thoughts and, and to engage with them. And ultimately we got a really positive response. So I think it's important that this is mentioned pre-launch, right? So even though we're Olympus inspired, our code is completely different. Like we didn't copy a single line of code from Olympus, right? You know, because our goal is not to become a reserve currency like Olympus, the mechanics that we employ are going to be quite different as well. And so our goal is actually, basically, our goal is to use our fair launch mechanism, which is coming up, and bonding just as a bootstrapping mechanism, right? It is literally just going to be used to build up a treasury that can sustain like an early iteration of investments out of the accelerator. And then basically get us to a point where, you know, the returns from that accelerate and the returns from the, from the investment activities out, out of the treasury are enough to warrant us to never bond again. Because both bonding and high APY, which have become sort of like staples or, or things, p- things that people expect, I think are quite damaging to protocols like, like us who are aiming to be something other than a reserve currency. And so... What we've decided is we're going to start with much lower APYs than you know what what people are used to seeing, and we're also going to have like draw a, a line in the sand and say you know we're going to get to this point and we're just going to turn off bonding, and we're going to soft cap supply and we've like we've kind of you know we we said we've thrown around five mil total PHM as like a as a number. We say we, at that point, we've probably raised enough money where we can only rely on those accelerated returns. And then when you think about it, right, you, you're not relying on bonding, you're not relying on rebases to return uh, for your holders, to, to generate a return for your holders. What you are relying on, though, is the accelerator to continue to perform well, uh, the treasury value to increase over time. And then ultimately, if you're doing those things and it's over a fixed supply of PHM, then what you can expect your gain to actually be is capital appreciation. And that's kind of what we want to move to, right? So, so if you think about like the end state of Phantom, it, 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 it's, really, it's really actually quite different to the Olympus model. And I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. Yeah, we wrote an editorial about this in Agora. There's all these people on Twitter saying, well, if Olympus is a hedge fund, why is it trading above its backing? And then they go, well, given it is a hedge fund, what should it be trading at? Because it's a hedge fund. And then it's like, <laughs> but it's not a hedge fund. <laughs> like there's not, it's just, it's just so dumb, right? And there's all these like 
indicia that it's like why would a hedge fund have a like give program where you can like give your rebases to other people why would a hedge fund like have right you know a like education section about why it's a currency but yeah there's like a bunch of a bunch of indicia there which like we could go into for like a much longer time yeah totally so, yeah, maybe you can quickly tell us about the cryptos because I actually am very, yeah, very interested in them. I see them I see them around. Yeah, when are you going to grab one, Mark? I know. I just <laughs> have, like, no time. And then I'm like, are these overpriced? Are they underpriced? I can't tell. I mean, I'm probably going to get one, not going to lie. Um, it took me a while to get, like, a bong bear. I, like, went and did it after we did the recording. I was like, this is so cool. I want to go get one. I expect maybe the same thing will happen here. But maybe, yeah, we've got like five more minutes. You can tell us a bit about the cryptes. Yeah, for sure. So it is a separate project, meaning that the the crypty NFTs are not going to have an interaction with Phantom. And I always want to make that sort of clearly known to people. I'm just, I'm just the same founder of two different projects. But the crypt takes a lot of inspiration, actually, from the Bong Bears, which was that first NFT project that came out of the Olympus ecosystem. And the whole idea behind them, and this is, you know, credit to Smoke and, and the guys over there that, that came up with it, it's really not, it wasn't my genius idea, is that the NFTs rebase, meaning that, you know, if you're a Genesis holder and Gen 2 comes out, then, you know, you, you get one of those Gen 2s for free. And then when Gen 3 comes out, you've got one OG, one Gen 2, and then you'll you'll get two of those Gen 3s, right? And it just keeps going and going and going. And with Bong Bears and us, I think it's the same thing. We've got seven planned rebases. So if all you did was diamond hand your first OG all the way through to the end and didn't buy any others, like you'd end up with 64 NFTs, right? And so I think a lot of people who, you know, saw my tweet and did some of the math, if you paid the average price for a current crypto, which I think is like 3.6 ETH on an auction, you would only have to sell all 64 of your NFTs for like 0.07 ETH or something like that to break even. And I think a lot of people are comparing our project to the Bong Bears because, you know, Smokey's an advisor. He's making sure we're doing things correctly. I'm learning from the mistakes that they made, etc. I like always check it and dream about getting an OG Bong Bear, but then I'm like, no, it's very expensive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think a lot of people are doing that math and going, oh, this this makes perfect sense. <laughs> and honestly, like the, I I feel it's very rewarding for me because the community within the Crypt Discord, which is completely closed, like it's not open to people who don't hold those NFTs. Uh, now I gotta go get one. <laughs> I gotta know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> right, yeah. It's so it's so positive. And there really are some people in there with big brains who are sharing a lot of alpha and that's what it's all about. And you know, making sure that the reason we're capped it at ninety-nine is because like I'm confident that ninety-nine people I can all engage with individually and we can add value to those people. You know, whereas like think about a ten K mint. Right. Like, I just don't understand how those founders, and probably a lot of them don't, right? Because they're just like cash grabbers. But you think about it, like, it's like, how could you ever ethically go, yeah, I'm going to be able to add value to 10K people consistently? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's, it's crazy that they are like, we'll make the NFTs and then we'll create the kind of culture and community yeah. around 10,000 people. And it's, it's like, bonkers. well, <laughs> no one's <laughs> going to feel like, you know, a sense of space in like a, a space that has 10,000 randos in it, right? So I think Bong Bears, 
you go into the bong bear server and there's people playing like games and just chatting to each other and it's like so much like alpha <laughs> like just every day and people yeah it's a very cool community i think that's definitely the way to do it and i think yeah this will be a model for others as well mm, very cool all right is there anything you want to say to like the olympus community or um phantom community and then maybe you can just remind us about the launch date and sort of what's happening with that yeah you know, I personally, I try and say this a lot, but I'm super grateful for our community. Like, I feel like, um, you know, we, we've developed a community that is incredibly close-knit, you know, having gone through this launch sequence for like three months now. And so, there's a lot of people who have been in there almost from the beginning. And and I feel like it's a very, very close-knit community and people are very open and generous with their time and, and sharing knowledge about DeFi in general and helping other people get up to speed on what Phantom's doing and how we're different to a lot of other protocols. So I always say thank you, you know, to, to, to our community, but then also to the Omis, you know, very grateful for allowing us to be an officially recognized partner of Olympus. I'm very aware that there's a lot of blood in the streets right now, but at the same time, like I'm confident that Olympus is here to stay and I'm grateful for the opportunity for us to be able to create with Olympus and bring value back to the ecosystem. Yeah, very cool. I think people forget that there is a real strong desire from builders to have a asset which is not pegged to the US dollar, which they can just build around. It's like there's been a couple of people who are like, are they like, oh, you will use Ohm in our treasury or we want to have a, a, like exposure to it. And I'm like, oh, that's very nice. Like they're just being nice. And then they're like, no, it's not <laughs> like we're not being, we're not just trying to be nice. We actually really desire an asset that does that because there's nothing else that really fits the bill for that to kind of diversify a, a treasury exposure that's hopefully going to be a lot less volatile. Yeah. All right, Casper, thanks for coming on. Sorry, we would have had a longer one, but Casper's super busy this week and we hope to have him back on and you can update everyone about sort of what happened with the launch and how you're going maybe in a month or two because, uh, yeah, very keen to see you guys launch and then grow. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Mark. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, Casper. Bye.